So before we start the show, WizBets, I just got to say rest in peace to one of the best knockout artists in the history of the sport, Anthony Rumble Johnson. I mean, just growing up, this guy was a terrifying force. And it was crazy because he was always this big guy that would cut down to 170 pounds. And those weight cuts were insane. But what was even more insane is the way he'd face plant these guys, the way he struck the fear inside the, his opponents and he went from 170 to 185 to 205 and i mean knocks out alexander gustafsson in sweden knocked out little nog in his big ufc return uh goes back to the regional scene face plants dj linderman which was one of the all-time uh greatest knockouts from the regional scene and it's just been a highlight machine and you know only 38 years old so you know our condolences go out to anthony rumble's family his friends and, you know, he's a guy that'll truly be remembered and truly be missed. So rest in peace, Anthony Rumble Johnson. And uh, let's start the show. Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Wiz Betts. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 65, Derek the Black Beast Lewis versus Sergey Spivak. And it's going down this Saturday afternoon, not night, afternoon at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. You got the, speaking of knockout artists like Anthony Rumble Johnson, it's only fitting that we got the UFC KO King, Derek Lewis, headlining another card, taking on the emerging Sergey Spivak. And I have a feeling, Wiz, this fight is not going the distance. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. <laughs> in this fight, what I'm looking to see is if... Spivak can get Lewis to the floor because Lewis is a pretty heavy heavyweight. He's he's up there, and uh, he's shown to be a little bit harder on the harder side to get taken down. So that's going to be interesting. So without further ado, let's get down to business on this on this main event because in the heavyweight division we got the KO King Derek the Black Beast Lewis. He's twenty six and ten, taking on the Polar Bear Sergey Spivak, who was fifteen and three, and currently they got it. Sergey Spivak minus 200. The comeback on Derek the Black Beast loses plus 170. So, off the top, let me say this these odds would have been flipped a year ago. Bottom line, I mean, prior to Derek Lewis having you know been knocked out in three of his last four, he'd 100% be the favorite in this fight. And what's interesting about this matchup is that it's just like another Derek Lewis fight. I mean, he tends to get taken down by all the grapplers he fights, but he's got this ability to, he'll give up side control and then he'll just explode back up. And then when you talk about the Black Beast Blitz, I mean, there's a reason he's got the all-time record for knockouts, not just in the heavyweight division, Wiz, but in the UFC. And one of those blitzes, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much confidence you're bringing to the table. It doesn't matter how much youth you have. Uh, no one is exempt from a Black Beast shot to the chin. And I don't think Sergey Spivak is an exception here. That being said, the reason he's favored now is the kid's riding high with confidence. It seems like he's putting things together. He's on a nice little win streak. But make no mistake about it, we've seen Sergey Spivak be knocked out more than once in the first round. And we've seen when he gets dropped, he ain't coming back. So, I mean... What are the chances we're giving the Black Beast here? Because I feel like every time you count this guy out, he always surprises you, and he's always got a chance to knock anybody out. 100% and spot-on analysis there. Uh, Spivak has been knocked out multiple times, like you said, in that first round. Uh, tail of the tape, 
both of these guys are very similar, same height, uh, edge to Lewis by an inch in the reach department. And I, I can't seem to understand the the price tag that they're that they're lining this fight at. I do understand that Spivak is riding high on on these on this little win streak that he has going on. And yeah, he does have the grappling upside. But as you mentioned, Derek Lewis just seems to be able to either defend these takedowns or pop back up. And that Lewis blitz is legit. So <laughs> Spivak has a has a hard test on his hands. Hundred percent. What's interesting about Spivak is, you know, he's always had skill. In my opinion, like I always thought that he was a talented kid. It's just about you know getting your feet wet inside the octagon. I mean, he got thrown to the wolves from the jump. Had to fight Walt Harris. Had to fight the Marcin Tiboras. But I mean, he's picked up some good wins along the way. You know, he did beat um, Tai Tuivasa in Australia. He's also handled his step downs in competition accordingly. I like the fact that he got out of his comfort zone. He's training in Vegas now. He's got a decent jab. And just with heavyweight, we know that even if you're not known for your power, you can still knock people out. I mean, it's with those four-ounce gloves, the polar bear connects on the chin. We know that the Black Beast, you know, I know he got knocked out back in the day, but these last few, regardless of the level of competition, you know, my boy's reaching 40 years old. So, and the thing about it, man, is that like with heavyweight, you sometimes feel like as they age, they get, you know, a second win as they age, you know, they're like a fine wine. They get better with time. It's just the numbers say that he's been knocked out in three of his last four. And I feel like he's not reacting to these shots as well as he once did. And also, you know, kind of narrative wise, you got to question the motivation. You know, he's already had his title shots. They didn't go his way. Is he finally, you know, someone here made a good comment. Anthony said, has Lewis reached the cliff? And that, and that's the fantastic question. I mean, that's really what this comes down to in my mind. Because like I said, a year ago, I think that Sergey Spivak takes down Derek Lewis. I think he passes the side control. But I think that Lewis, yeah, he doesn't have the best takedown defense, but he's got really good submission defense. And he's really good at finding that opportune time to explode back up to his feet and then blitz you, pound on you, the way he did to Alexei Olenek, the way he did to Ilya Latifi at times in that fight, and the way he's done throughout his entire career. And not just that, man. I mean, we're dealing with a guy who, for someone who's known for being a comeback guy, we're dealing with a guy who's got a win over the current heavyweight champion, Francis Ngannou. Boring or not, let's just put it this way. Francis was scared to engage. I don't want to say scared. Was timid in that fight against Lewis. That that has to speak volumes to the kind of power that Lewis brings to the table. Lewis has a knockout win over Alexander Volkov. He's got a knockout win over Curtis Blades. He's beat all the guys at the top of the division. So this would be by far the biggest win of Spivak's career. And again, I think that Spivak is going to win this fight until he either gets his arm raised or until he's flat on his back looking at the lights. They got to bring in the smelling salts and, prop, and possibly the stretcher. Yeah, and <clears throat> like you said, Spivak could be winning this fight until he's not. I definitely could see a situation like the Curtis Blades fight where Curtis Blades is winning the fight throughout and then one little mistake and he gets uppercut straight to the face and he's he's out cold. So Spivak does have a really big test on his hands. It's a pretty steep step up in competition for him. So I'm interested to see how he performs here under the pressure. And I think this is his first really like big test other than his Aspinall fight. 
because Aspinall was the last fight he got uh, knocked out in, and his last loss, in fact, which was three fights ago. So I'm, I'm interested to see what happens here. I do think there is some value on the Lewis line, though. I haven't played it yet, though. I'm still waiting. I could be, get a little bit juicier. Yeah, I mean, let me say this. I don't think there's much value on the Spivak line, and I'll tell you why. Because, I mean, he should be slightly favored just in the sense that, you know, maybe, you know, the questions pertaining to how much does Lewis have left in the tank? He's been knocked down three of his last four, this and that. So, okay, let, let's make Spivak the favorite. You know, he's on a nice little win streak, seems to be putting things together. So I get it. Let's make him a slight favorite. But where they have it now, I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, I, I don't see much value. Like, I don't view it. When, I, when, I'm, t- when I'm talking about value, that, me- that implies that the line is off. That implies that, you know, I line at minus 300, minus 400, and it's only minus 200. Okay, there's value there, but I don't view it that way. I view it, you know, minus 170, minus 200-ish, and I'm good. I don't need to play Spivak here because, again, the way he's going to lose this, lose this fight is the way that everyone loses the, to the Black Beast. You're dominating him, and then he just comes out there and knocks you uh, into the next dimension. He knocks you into next week. So, I, I mean, I just would rather sit back and watch it. And also, a lot of these fights, Lewis has been losing, and I don't want to, you know, I don't. I say I don't want to get into narrative nation, but we're about to get into narrative nation. A lot of them have been in Texas for whatever reason. This dude can't win a fight in Texas, but here at the Apex, he's actually undefeated. Wiz, kind of interesting, right? Yeah, let's see if we can keep this undefeated streak going. <laughs> yeah, I'd be curious to see. I personally don't have any interest in betting this fight, but I do have an interest in watching this fight, and I'm hoping that Derek Lewis can come out here and you know pay tribute to Rumble Johnson and get one in the win column for the for the all time knockout artist, man. So, I mean, I ha- I do lean Spivak, but I don't like the price at all. And historically speaking, Lewis wins this fight. You know. A year ago, Lewis is definitely winning this fight. And a year ago, you give me this price, I'm betting Lewis. That's the bottom line. It's just, you know, I'm just, the questions about where he's at, that's what's holding me back. Bottom line. And plus, we we all want to hear that post-fight interview again. He's great on the mic. So we need another legendary interview. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's one of the best, man. I mean, the interviews, the knockouts, the personality, you know, Let's see if uh, if Spivak wins. Let's see if, you know, he's been working on his English a little bit. You always like it when these foreigners come out there. And even if they only know a couple words, like the fact that they're giving that effort goes a long way. Like you look at Moicano, uh, you know, like it might be broken English, but like the fact that he's, you know, he's given just that little effort. It really goes a long way with the fans. It really resonates. And that's why I always said, like with Jose Aldo, who's a total legend, who's a Hall of Famer, who's one of my all time favorite fighters. I know this dude knows perfect English, by the way. I had a conversation with him in Vegas. He speaks perfect English, but the guy would never speak in English in any of his interviews or any anything. And I think part of it was a pride thing, but I think also part of it is, you know, when you're off camera, you feel a little bit more comfortable, whereas when you're on camera, you know, it's a little nerve-wracking speaking in a foreign language. But if you would have just said a couple words, like back when Anderson was like, uh, I you knock you out, you know, that's like, oh shit, you know, just like a couple words goes a long way. So if Spivak gets this win, I, I hope that he gets on the mic and surprises us with some money Moicano English. Yeah, and in his last fight, I believe he spoke some English at the end of uh, in like at the end of the tail end of the post fight interview, he said something in English I can't remember, 
it's off the top of my head, but I'm sure he did speak like a sentence of English at the end. AY said thoughts on the over 1.5 at even money gonna uh, he says it's gonna be hard for Spivak to finish Lewis that quick in theory. Um I don't know, man. It, it's tough because I mean not only that, but like what about Lewis finishing him early? Like Spivak's been knocked out in the first round more than once. And when you hurt Spivak, he tends not to come back in fights, right? So that's what I'm saying. Like if Lewis can come out here with that blitz and actually get to him, get him in that fetal position, get him covering up. Spivak ain't exactly known for coming back in fights. So I'm not writing off a Lewis knockout. Uh, but at the same time, Spivak gets the full mount. How many more explosions does Lewis have in him to get back up to his feet to survive those bad spots? Or is he finally at a point now where he feels like, you know, it, maybe maybe live to fight another day, maybe just get my paycheck and go back to my family. You know, the, my, my boy's 40 years old. And I'd talk about how, you know, there's a 10-year age gap here. But like I mentioned, with heavyweights, it's kind of different. Like if this was a 10-year age gap at flyweight, at bantamweight, at featherweight, at lightweight, that's one thing. Heavyweight, I've seen dudes win the title at 40, even light heavyweight. You saw my boy Glover Teixeira not too long ago. So it's a little bit different with the big boys, but the last few fights have not been looking the best for Lewis. They haven't been the best look. So I don't know. Sorry, sorry. I gave a long-winded answer that accumulated to I have no fucking idea. You have, you got an opinion on the over 1.5 at even? Uh, I think it's a coin toss at best, to be honest, because – as you mentioned, either guy could get an early finish, but we've also seen the the wrestling from Spivak hold later into fights. We've seen Derek Lewis be durable in fights. Is he still that durable given his past couple fights going not as planned? I don't think so, but I still think it's a coin flip. So I, I'm going to stay away from that spot. Now, next up in the co-main event of the evening in the light heavyweight division we got iwan kutalaba he's 16 and 8 and 1 because you know apparently that dustin jacoby fight was a draw and he's taking on nigeria's kennedy and zetruku who is 10 and 3. interesting that we got two guys from moldova in the main event and the co-main event that's pretty fucking cool and currently they got it Kennedy and Zetruku, minus 170, the comeback on Iwan Kutalaba's plus 150. Another spot where, like, a year ago, the line would have been flipped. That, that's what makes it so intriguing because Iwan Kutalaba, another guy where he'll go balls to the wall in that first round. And sometimes, you know, when you're not quite on his level, he can win fights down the stretch. I mean, you saw the beating. You saw the beatdown he put on Devin Clark throughout a three-round duration. And, I mean, he pushed a pace. And there's always this thing about, oh, if you just get Ewan past that first round, you know, he's not gonna he's not gonna perform as well. And he and boy did he perform well in the second and third rounds, I thought at least uh, against Devin Clark. He he put it on him. The thing is here with Ewan, it's more of a thing in terms of like he's not really known for overcoming adversity. He's more of an amazing hammer, but not the best nail. You take this guy's back, you start to threaten a choke, and he's not exactly known for surviving those spots. And it's not just a thing that we saw, you know, do this fucking uh, tapology shit. The ads are getting crazy to a point where I'm like clicking Ewan's name and it's like taking me to like another window, right? It's getting, it's getting, it's getting crazy tapology. Y'all got to fix that, bro. But 
it's not even just a thing where his last two fights, you know, he got choked out by Johnny Walker and Ryan Spann. I mean, even back in the day, like you remember the Misha Sirkunov fight where Ewan went balls to the wall that first round. Second round started to slow down. By the third round, that shit was over with. Even the Jared Cannonier fight. First round goes balls to the wall. Second and third round, there's that famous, uh, I mean, it's been turned into a meme where uh, Jared Cannonier is walking him down with his hands down and my boy is completely broken. The Glover Teixeira fight first round drops him with a spin. Second round gets choked out and you just you take this guy's back one time. You threaten to choke. Even the Ryan Spann fight, like Ryan Spann didn't even like throw a strike that fight. Like Ewan takes him down twice. And on the third attempt, he's shooting from a mile out, gives up his neck. And that's it. With Kennedy and Zetruku, he's always had the talent. He's always had the physical attributes. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's six foot five with the 83 inch reach. Also from Nigeria. You guys know I love my African fighters, my Sodiq Yusufs. My Usman's, I mean, like, there's something different about that African physicality. And I like what this guy's been doing. And if we're talking about how Ewan isn't known for, isn't known for overcoming adversity, guess who can overcome adversity? You saw that fight between uh, Carlos Olberg and Kennedy and Zetchuku? I mean, Carlos Olberg emptied the tank on Kennedy, man. I mean, we're talking about he threw, like, close to 300 strikes on Kennedy. Kennedy survived. He stayed composed. He stayed calm. And when it was his time to land his shots, he put Carlos Olberg out. My only issue with Kennedy is sometimes the aggression isn't quite there. Sometimes you want more from him because, I mean, like, it's like the video game controller we always talk about. You give me the video game controller for Kennedy and Zetchuku, and, I mean, we're beating Jiri. I mean, we're, we're a world champion. So I just want to see Kennedy... You know, show that killer instinct and really go for it like I know he's capable of because I think that this guy's finished product is a top 10 guy, actually. Yeah, uh, I, I've always liked Kennedy and Zechukwu, and especially in this spot. I mean, you, you go to look at the height and the reach advantages that this guy has uh, against almost everyone in the division. It's ridiculous. And in this fight, it's no different. Uh, Iwan has been an undersized uh, fighter for the division. And Nzechukwu has four inches of height on him. And oh, just to get this correct, eight inches of reach on Iwan Kutulabo. So he's going to have Iwan at distance as long as he can maintain that. <clears throat> and Iwan is another fighter that has that blitz in him. And those blitzes usually turn into takedown attempts. Now, one thing that I like in Kennedy's arsenal is his knees. I think that his knees up the middle are going to pay him dividends in this fight especially when Iwan's trying to shoot recklessly just because of the distance. And if you're looking at the record, Nzechukwu, yeah, he has that loss against Nigamarianu, which I'd, it's not supposed to be a loss. That fight was supposed to be a draw. Uh, there was the, the eye poke, uh, point deduction in the third round. And it, it was just weird how the judges scored that for Nigamarianu, but that's in the past. I think the guy's starting to put things together and he's starting to really fight smart. Uh, we used to always hate on Fortis MMA for for the Fortis shell where they just go up into once they're backed up in the corner, they have that Fortis shell and they just get hit from the sides and there's no defense. But I think this guy's learning better defensive tactics and he, he's putting together his combos a lot more. And we've seen that in the last fight. And as you mentioned, he had that fight against Olberg where he took all the shots and he still won. 
Now, yes, that's against a unfinished Olberg product. He was still pretty green in the UFC. It's still impressive given how Olberg has shown in his past couple fights. So I think Nzachuku is is the rightful favorite here. I think he does win the fight. Uh, I haven't gotten to the window yet myself, but more than likely I'll I'll be interested in, in some sort in this fight. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the Nikolai Negumeriano fight. I mean, he outstruck him, you know, like 100 to 60, right? So, you know, it was one of those things. I believe there were some point deductions and, you know, a little fuckery, you know, with the judges, you know, how it can go. But Nikolai, Nikolai is different than uh, than Iwan. Uh, Nikolai is a guy with a shit ton of heart. Nikolai is a guy, you don't get him out of there. He's going to keep walking forward the entire time until you get him out of there or until, you know, he gets his arm raised like the last fight with, with uh, Olberg and shout out to Olberg. That was my only bet to cash last week. Last week was a bloodbath, man. But uh, man, what a beautiful combo, man. He hit him with the jab. He stepped back and then hit him with the same side left hook. That was absolutely nasty. Like that was really disgusting. Like that was abs- that was just such a beautiful combo by Olberg. Like, God damn. But uh, back to this, man. I mean, I can see Ewan coming out here and winning the first round. Like, like no, no joke. Like, I can see him coming out here, getting some takedowns, getting on top, you know, imposing his will a little bit. It's just that Kennedy's still going to be there most likely in the second and third round is Ewan, right? And historically speaking, like we said, Ewan's more so known for being a bit of a front runner. Ewan's known for, you know, he can give it, but I'm not necessarily sure he can take it. You know, a fantastic hammer, not the best nail. So for that reason, I do have to go with Kennedy and Zetchaku, you know, to get it done down the stretch, whether it's, you know, finding a knee, finding a straight punch. He's got a big reach advantage in this fight. He's got a goddamn eight-inch reach advantage in this fight. Or, you know, maybe we come out here and find a choke, or maybe when Ewan starts to slow down, maybe you'll see a little bit of wrestling from Kennedy. I just want to see Kennedy, you know, have that incentive and have that, you know, like, let's get aggressive, Kennedy. Like, I- I'm sick of some of these fights where he's kind of sitting back, but I also want to cut him some slack because you got to understand, this guy came to the UFC at only 6-0, and Wiz. I talk about it all the time. These guys with 10 or less pro fights, you're going to be seeing these big, improvements fight by fight now he's 10 and 3 so you know six fights compared to 13 fights i mean that's more than double the fights right so this is a guy who's actually getting his feet wet so but back to the price because i mean the price is everything right and uh you know i slightly lean kennedy so that it seems about right it doesn't seem like there's much value there from from my point of view yeah one one thought that just crossed uh my head was yeah as you mentioned ewan's going to win the first round at a pretty high clip here. So a live entry, and I know this is not your style of betting, a live entry in the second round on Kennedy might be the most optimal way, uh, just given that how Ewan comes out in that first round. If he does take him down and hold him down and Kennedy is able to survive, that's awesome for a, a live entry, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I got no issues with live betting, man. I mean, especially like you get a, a nice little dog number and you start to see Ewan, you know, huffing and puffing uh, on the stool. You, n- you never know. And then Safe gets in uh, in Kennedy's face and gives him one of those speeches. You know how my boy Safe Saud gets. He, he's, he's man, I want that dude as like my alarm clock. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm too busy. Uh, I posted a fucking funny-ass meme on my uh, Instagram about alarm clocks. Here's what it said. So it said, uh, I always put 
two alarms, one for the person I want to be and one for the person I am. You know what I'm saying, man? So I need that. Uh, I need that safe Sayud uh, alarm clock. My boy Couch Warriors in the house. He said Dan's dog in the background right now is goals. Hell yeah. We got my boy uh, Oscar right here. What's up, Oscar? Got my my girl Blondie right there. I don't know if you can see her. My boy Leo ain't here, unfortunately, but he, he'll be back soon. Um, he, He's staying at my dad's place. So whenever my dad goes out of town, Leo comes here and chills with me. But uh, right now he's at my dad's. That's the little guy. But, yeah, I got the two the two German Shepherds here at my place. But uh, I appreciate you being here, Couch Warrior. So next up, we got the featured bout. Oh, and, and I assume we're both picking Kennedy uh, as just a, a straight pick? Yes, sir. I, I said straight pick. I didn't mean bet. I just mean just a, a, a pick. Because I... I I mean, he's minus 170. Like, I slightly lean Kennedy. That's, you know, minus 170. I don't really – if if the line was flipped, I'd be betting Kennedy. But the line's not flipped, so I'm sitting back. Next up in the heavyweight division, we got the featured bout. We got Chase Sherman. He's 16-10, and 10, taking on Waldo Acosta – Waldo Cortez Acosta, who was 8-0. Currently, they got it Let me make sure I'm reading this right. Am I reading minus 220 uh, Waldo, the comeback on Chase Sherman plus 180? You know, it's interesting because long-term fading Chase Sherman's a very profitable venture. Like, There's no questions asked. If you fade him every single fight, you're getting a ridiculous return on your investment. So long-term, I'm a believer in, in the Chase Sherman fade. The Waldo guy, though, I like him, you know, I like the fact that he's a former baseball player and he's in there throwing fastballs like when he fights, like that's cool. But, you know, that last fight he just had with with uh, Vandera didn't exactly make the statement I was hoping he'd make. I mean, I always pick against Vandera because, I mean, you know, death taxes and Jared Vandera does not win UFC fights. So, you know, I picked him there, but he ate a lot of calf kicks and that was only like two weeks ago, man. So, like, has he had enough time to heal to come back out here? But... Chase Sherman usually is a very winnable fight, but like from time to time, Chase Sherman will impress from time to time. Not always, but from time to time, you'll see big leg kicks from Chase Sherman. Guess what? This dude, Waldo, just got caught with a lot of big leg kicks his last fight, which is only two weeks ago on the Cater versus Allen card. So if that leg, you know, if he's still icing that leg this week, man, Chase Sherman might, might look to target that. I mean, I know he will. My issue with Chase Sherman is the same issue I've had throughout his career. The guy does not move his head off that center line. He's there to be hit. And one of those fastballs, I mean, we're back to the, the heavyweight talk, these four-ounce gloves. It doesn't matter how green Waldo is, you know. Uh, he's Chase ain't going to be saying, where's Waldo? Waldo's going to be right there to be found. So, you know, another one where I don't see any value in Waldo in this spot. Minus 220, okay, I get it. You're favored over Chase Sherman. Pretty much the whole roster should be favored over Chase Sherman, but you know, he's still just a green guy. And like when I think about green prospects and I talk about how, you know, less than 10 pro fights, he'll be making all these big improvements fight by fight. He hasn't even had like a fucking training camp, man. He just fought two weeks ago. Like he's probably still icing his calves. He probably, you know, he hasn't had the time to really I want to see, you know, six months between fights. That's where you really make your improvements. So yeah, I'm not that confident here. Yeah, it's it, it's a very weird spot, and I was surprised to see Waldo <clears throat> even accept this fight just to step in. I understand it's Chase Sherman, but he ate some absolutely nasty leg kicks, like you mentioned against Bandera, and he was not reacting well at all. 
Uh, Chase Sherman does have some power in his own right, but Waldo strikes me as a guy that is pretty durable, although he's been knocked out in the boxing uh, ring a couple times. But I think Waldo's going to be able to get Chase Sherman out of there. My question is, will Chase Sherman have success with those leg kicks the same way as Vandera did? Because Vandera at least has some sort of head movement. Chase Sherman does not. This guy just walks forward and eats shots left and right. And Waldo was getting off on Vendera, and surprisingly, Vendera was surviving. I don't know if Chase Sherman's going to be able to survive. Uh, it's a very ugly fight. Uh, measurables, they're both the same height at 6'4", both same reach at 78 inches. So I'm going to have to lean Waldo, but at minus 220, I'm not going to be able to to take this guy. It's I took him in a parlay. I'm going to like full transparency. I parlayed him in the last card and he he made me sweat a little bit. So I'm going to lay off here. Yeah, and another thing I talk about how Chase Sherman doesn't move that head off the center line. Another issue we've had with him is he tends to significantly fatigue down the stretch in fights and not that Waldo's some cardio machine, but I got to give Waldo a lot of credit. Despite that leg getting mangled up, despite him being green as fuck, he was still pushing through. He was still really trying to win the fight the whole time. So I really appreciate that effort. I just don't appreciate this minus 220 price tag, and I have no interest in betting it. So another one. I'm going to sit back, enjoy it, and hope these two go out there and put on a violent showcase. And let's not mention, or let's not forget to mention, both of these guys have some of the best nicknames. Waldo, Salsa Boy, Acosta. And Chase, the Vanilla Gorilla Sherman. So some of the best nicknames in the heavyweight division. It should have been Where's Waldo Cortez Acosta, but Salsa Boy is a, a good close second. So next up in the welterweight division, we got a striker's delight between Muslim Salikov. He's 18 and 3, taking on Andre Fialio, who is 16 and 5. And currently they got it. Muslim Salikov minus 110, Andre Fialio minus 110. And interestingly enough, it just depends where you look, because in some spots they got it, Fialio minus 116 and Salikov minus 104. And then I see other spots where they got it, minus 131, uh, Salikov and plus 104, Andre Fialio. So it's all over. It's pickums, either dead pickums or pickums with a slight lean on each guy. You know, another one where it's like historically speaking, I think Muslim Salikov would be a bigger favorite in this fight. But again, similar to the Black Beast, my boy's approaching 40 years old and, you know, it's coming off a knockout loss. Both of them are coming off knockout losses. But, you know, Andre Fialio, he's got to be significant, significantly younger, right? I mean, let me let me see what the age difference is here between the two. 38 uh, to 28, 10 year difference. Oh, 10 year difference. Exactly. Yeah. Case in point. So, I mean, we're dealing with a kid and a grown ass man. So. Yeah, I mean, again, historically speaking, this is a spot where I do favor Muslim Salikov. I mean, I think that, you know, he might not be the most active guy, but when he lets things go, boy, does he let things go. I mean, whether it's the spins, I mean, he knows how to fight behind his jab, too. His takedown defense has gotten better over the years, and he's beaten some high-level competition, whether it's Zaleski, whether it's Trinaldo. So, you know, I, I respect the body of work that Muslim Salikov's put together, and I've been a fan of him the whole time. It's just that, you know, my boy uh, is getting up there in age, and it is what it is. Father time catches up to us all, to us all coming off a knockout loss, but Andre also coming off a, a more brutal knockout loss, in my opinion. 
Jake Matthews is one of these guys who like one day like he beats Li Jing Liang, the next day like he's barely getting past Bojan Velikovic. Like one day like he um he knocks out Andre Fialho, the next day like you know he's losing he, he's barely getting by some random scrub. So Jake Matthews is the definition of a hot and cold fighter, and he was hot that night against Andre Fialho. But listen, Andre Fialho is a dangerous guy. We know he can bang. You know, Muslim Salikov's more, you know, you know, pop that jab and look for his opportunity to get off on those lethal spins. I mean, there's a reason they call him the king of kung fu, the king of spin, because this guy can spin probably better than anyone in the welterweight division, besides maybe Wonder Boy. But at this point, I'd say Salikov's, I mean, his, his spins are absolutely lethal, man. They're so well-timed. I really like his style. Fialho is more of, overhand right left hook throw some calf kicks in there kind of more of a he's actually from portugal but kind of fights like a brazilian banger you know so yeah i'm a fan of both these guys a lot and there's definitely a chance that you know andre fialho can cat can touch the chin of muslim salikov but i think actually the better process goes to salikov and i think that despite him having a little bit lower output just overall I think that he can actually win minutes here because he gets guys to really respect him. And as a result, their volume wanes. You know, as a result, they're not out here throwing high output because they respect what's coming at them so much. His counter ability is truly on point. So, yeah, I'm going to lean with Muslim Salikov. It's just, again, my boy's almost 40. My boy is at that point where, you know, speed is one of those first things to go, but power is one of the last things to go. So I know he can still knock people out. I just wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe the, maybe the speed on the spin starts to wane a little bit. Maybe, you know, he starts to gas out a little bit sooner than we expect, things like that. Um, but historically speaking, I think that Muslim is more of a minus 180 favorite actually in this spot. It's just in his current form. Is he that, you know? So my pick is Muslim Salikov. And I tend to agree. Uh, I am shying away just because of the A, age difference. B, Salikov is given up four and a half inches in reach. So that paired with the age, paired with the speed, it's not the best equation for, for a fighter who's going against someone that has the power that Fialo does. Both fighters, as you mentioned, coming off of knockout losses. But... Fialo in his own right, he he doesn't really have that good of a chin. We saw him get absolutely wobbled by Cameron Van Kemp before he got the knockout. And he got knocked out by Jake Matthews. And I'm not disrespecting Jake Matthews, but he hasn't been the one to, to show power in, in the right sense. It was a lot of accumulation from the first and second round. But I do think Salikov has power. I think he can crack. Uh, and he ate shots from Li Jiang Liang for the, that first round and almost two rounds before he got put out. So I, I really like Salikov in this spot. I'm still trying to decide if I really want to take the take the shot on him. And I do agree. I think if this fight was maybe a year or two ago, Salikov would be lined around minus 180. Uh, just given that he's up there in age, I think that's why this line is closer to that pick'em, and uh, Fialo is just one of those popular names. People see the highlights, and they, they're instantly attracted, and they see minus 110, or at one point, he was like plus 115, 120, uh, and they're like, oh, we're going to bet Fialo just because of how dangerous this guy is, and I don't hate it, but you have to dig a little bit deeper, and 
what you see from Fialo is very repetitive combinations. Uh, he likes his one, two, three, jab, hook, cross. And he, you see a lot of fighters, at least smart fighters, that catch on to stuff like this. And I think Salikov is going to be one of those fighters that's able to to navigate through those repetitive combinations and find a knockout on his own. Uh, the one prop that I don't really seem to get how it's priced is the fight doesn't go to distance is only minus 170 and I was quite surprised personally I thought this fight uh, no matter what's going to get finished whether it's Fialo getting a knockout or Salikov getting a knockout of his own Anthony Harge with another good point Salikov is way better technically but he's getting up there in age you know this guy Anthony's been making some good points throughout uh throughout uh this whole show so gotta give him some credit anthony hit me up on on twitter man you know maybe you should start voicing your opinions more because everything you've said so far is on point got my boy jay luke in the house what's up jay luke hey y'all check out my boy jay luke he's a badass rapper from the south really cool dude braves fan we met at the braves game about a year ago and just a really cool guy he also um is friends with jamal hill and you know and billy q so like they know about him and he's out here supporting some really good fighters and he's doing all the rap stuff on his own so y'all check him out jay luke that's my boy right there so appreciate you being here jay luke and everybody before we talk about jack della madalena versus danny hot chocolate roberts do me a huge favor smash that like button and if you're not already subscribed please subscribe because next up in the welterweight division we got a matchup between Jack Della Madalena. He's 12 and 2, taking on Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts, who is 18 and 6. And currently, they got a Jack Della Madalena. <laughs> Depends where you look. Minus 485. The comeback on Danny Hot Chocolate is plus 385. But I also see uh, somewhere where it's minus 550, and the comeback on Danny Hot Chocolate is plus 400. So, look, needless to say, I'm sure we're both picking Jack Della Madalena. But I mean, like, what? <laughs> Am I supposed to lay minus 550? Like, I'm good on that, you know? Because, like, when when you see a price like this, it's not as simple as just saying, oh, Jack's going to come out here and knock him out in the first round. And you give me minus 150. You give me minus 250. Even minus 300. Then I might be like, you know what? Let's go ahead and lay it straight. No big deal. He's going to knock this guy out in the first round. But when you start talking about minus 550, you start talking about minus 600s, that's where we have to address possible concerns. And, yes, Danny Hot Chocolate is a little bit chinny. Yes, he's been knocked out before. Yes, he wobbles in a lot of other fights. But, like, when the guy's not getting knocked out, the guy's a dog, man. The guy comes to fight, and the guy's well-rounded. He's got big power. I mean, he's knocked a lot of people down. He's knocked a lot of people out. He can also, from time to time, mix in some wrestling. So the only reason I have to bring this kind of stuff up is because we're dealing with a goddamn minus 500, minus 600. You have to cover all your bases so that if – you know, the upset happens. You don't sit here and cry. I mean, when Ramazan Amiv was like minus 500 against this guy, he got the upset. So, and I know a lot of people scored it for Amiv, but just saying, from time to time, Danny will surprise you. Now, is he going to surprise you this weekend? Probably not. I mean, I think Jack Della, you know, one of the cleaner boxers for MMA standards. Now, I'm not saying he's a clean boxer to get in the ring and, you know, challenge some of these real boxers, but for MMA, where you know mma fighters have been historically criticized for their boxing this guy fights behind his jab he mixes it up to the body really well throws the occasional kick which i like and is really composed in there and he's a guy that can give it and can take it uh which is fantastic because unfortunately for my boy hot chocolate 
Look, Hot Chocolate's got the heart of a lion. And while he's still awake, he's going to be trying his ass off. So you got to respect the warrior spirit that Hot Chocolate brings. It's just that Hot Chocolate can't exactly take it as well. But it's not a situation of being a good hammer and a bad nail like Iwan Kutalaba. Because, like, if you put, you know, Danny Hot Chocolate in a bad spot and, you you know, you're trying to choke him out, like, he's going he's gonna to try his ass off to fight out of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, even that Claudio Silva fight with that arm bar, it didn't really look like he tapped out. It looked like he was willing to let Claudio Silva break his arm. It's the ref that actually stepped in and was like, yo, like, I ain't letting you get your arm broken today. So... I think this guy's got the heart of a lion. It's just a matter of his chin ain't exactly the best, and you probably need that artillery uh, that artillery on your chin to fight a guy like Madalena. So, yeah, I'm picking Madalena, but, I mean, like, minus 500, I'm good on that, dude. I'm good. So, you know, maybe Madalena's coming in here with an interview, with an injury. Maybe he got into a fight with his girlfriend the night before. <laughs> you know, maybe you want to, you know, roll a half-unit uh, shot on hot chocolate, but I'm all good. I'm going to pick uh, Della Maddalena, probably by knockout. But like I said, occasionally hot chocolate will surprise you and he'll be able to get into a gritty back and forth war. I mean, you saw Maddalena in a war with Angelusa. Now, granted, Angelusa, I think he's got a far superior chin to hot chocolate. Interestingly enough, they are training partners, so he's probably getting some insight from him. But yeah, um, I think I've said enough. I'm going to pick Jack Della Maddalena to get it done. Yeah, it's it's hard to disagree on this fight, and there isn't much you can really say. It's a pretty binary matchup, in my opinion. Uh, Jack Della Maddalena is one of my favorite up-and-coming prospects in the UFC. He's one of my favorite boxers, UFC-wise, to, to watch, just because he's so crisp. Uh, his boxing seems like it, it's like he's a robot, and these counters come at the right time. Uh, he's landing really efficiently. Uh, one of the more efficient boxers in the division, uh, in the UFC altogether. And, I mean, we, we know the, the resume Danny Roberts uh, has, and I, I just can't trust the chin. I think Della Maddalena gets it done inside the distance, but even then, you look at that line, it's at minus 200, and do you really want to pay minus 200 for Della Maddalena inside the distance, where, yeah, he's shown that he's been able to take out the guys uh, that are a little bit lower level, uh, I think this is a little bit of a step up in competition. Nothing too crazy. I'm not saying you can't handle it, but Carl Roberts, I mean, sorry, Danny Roberts is more than capable of staying in there. Uh, he he could lose a decision, but I'm favoring the, the Della Maddalena inside the distance, but I'm not going anywhere near this line. It's, it's disgusting. It sure is. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between... Zagas Zumagulov, he's 14 and 7, taking on Charles Johnson, who was 11 and 3. And both these guys are former champions in other organizations. Charles Johnson being LFA and Zagas, was it was it Fight Nights Global? I'll tell you in a sec once Tapology stops taking me to another fucking page when I click the dude's name. Um, it, it was some it, it was some Russian promotion that my boy was uh was a champion firstly the guy's a champion in life because i mean he's got you know he's got like six wives yeah it was fight nights global you know my boys out here with six wives so you know shout out to zalgas win lose or draw this guy's living the life so we tip our cap to a guy like zaga zumagulov but uh currently they got it um charles johnson minus 155 to come back on zaga zumagulov's plus 135 you know my issue with zaga zumagulov's 
always been in the fighting, not outside the cage. Outside the cage, this guy's a boss. This guy's a pimp. This guy's someone that we can all look up to, you know. Six wives, like, you know, that my, my boy's got a lot of patience, but, you know, he's probably got a lot else going on for him. So I, I give him a lot of respect. But, look, inside the cage, my issue with Zagazuma Gulab is that, you know, he's not the big, he's not the biggest guy and he can get bullied around a lot, not to mention sometimes he just doesn't do enough. And that's a big issue. And with this guy, Charles Johnson, I know he didn't have his best showing uh, in his UFC debut, but something I liked about his regional fights is, you know, the guy is one of the taller flyweights, you know, he's five foot nine, which at flyweight, I mean, that's like the equivalent of like a six foot three, uh, a six foot three lightweight right he's got a 70 inch reach he's got a longer reach than max holloway and this guy's a flyweight right so he's very long and he's a very boxing oriented guy fights behind his jab really nice cross switches stances when he gets taken down he tends to pop back up so i like what i've seen from him um it's just you know when you're talking about this price is it is he gonna fully cover it because Zagas, like, he tends to fight close with a lot of guys, but at the same time, the issue I've always had with him is that, you know, he really can be bullied around in there. And I felt like some of the wins he got on his regional scene, like, I didn't really think he beat Tagir in that fight. I thought Tagir clearly won that fight. And I'm really happy to see the progression Tagir's made in his career because I've always, like, thought he was talented, but now he's actually – that last fight against Manus, I mean, that was – that was a clean dub over there. So I'm happy to see what Tagir's been doing. But back to this, man. I think that Charles Johnson is just going to kind of be longer, be more active, just slightly be ahead on the scorecards and come out here and win a decision. So the thing is, Zalgas, occasionally, I mean, like even that Paiva fight, he made my boy Paiva work in that fight. You know, uh, he'll mix in the occasional takedown. He'll throw big bombs from time to time. It's just sometimes I want to see more. From Zaga Zumagulov. Like, just to put it in perspective, you know, he hasn't gotten anywhere near the 100 uh, significant strike mark, you know, in a, in a three round fight yet, you know? So he's not exactly known for being a high volume guy. He's more of a sit back, sit back. And when it's time to counter, he'll throw some big shots. And sometimes they're impactful. But at the end of the day, it seems like he's just not getting it done at the UFC level. Charles Johnson, you know, the. Well, the jury's still out on him, but what I saw in that Moda fight, I think should be enough to scrape out a decision here. So give me Charles Johnson to win this fight. So Zalga Zumagulov, the, the one thing I don't like about him is he tends to, to fight really close fights. A lot of his fights tend to be coin flips or he's winning until he loses. Uh, he had Manel Cup on skates for a second before he got knocked out. Uh, that Molina fight, I think he personally won and he got robbed there uh, as an underdog. So he performs really well as a dog uh, historically in the UFC. Uh, the one issue in this fight is he's facing someone that is much larger. <laughs> to give you perspective, <clears throat> Zalgas is five foot four and Charles Johnson is five foot nine. So that's a five inch height disadvantage for Zalgas. And when you're looking at the reach department, a 70 inch reach versus 66 and dan you might know this too when when you're fighting someone that's taller it's it's that much more of a reach disadvantage because you're you have to punch up and that along with the distance management makes it that much harder for zalgas now he's always been the fighter that 
likes to close distance. So I still think he can find some success. But Charles Johnson, in that in that fight against Mokayev, he had a couple of moments here and there. I'm not going to say he had anything significant, but he showed that he could. he's durable and he could last. And he, he stood against the storm and he didn't get finished. He lost by decision, but Mokayev is out here finishing people. So I, I think Charles Johnson is the rightful favorite. I do like his boxing and I do think he can occasionally mix in the wrestling here too. The, the reach is going to be huge in, in this fight for him. So I, I think he cruises to a decision. I don't think it's going to be as close as most Zaga's fights are usually. So yeah, give me Charles Johnson, but at the current line, I don't think I'm going to be going anywhere near it. It's going to be a really fun fight to watch though. Controversial opinion, but actually was like the only guy that scored the Molina fight for uh for Molina, interestingly enough. I mean, like if you look at the numbers, it was a close fight. It could have gone either way. I, I accept that. But if you look at the numbers, I mean like Molina outstruck him by almost double. The only round that they had even strike counts was the first round. So I guess it's about the takedowns, but I, I felt like Zagas didn't do shit with them. So I, I've judged it for the guy that, you know, landed double the output. And that's back to the, what we've been talking about. He just doesn't do enough. So that's the big issue. But doesn't do enough, but will fight close. So it's kind of a double-edged sword with Zagas there. But, yeah, I think we're both picking Charles Johnson. Hopefully, look, if Charles Johnson could shave that fucking thing off the back of his head, then I might actually bet him in this spot. But that thing is... That thing's gonna hold you back in life, man. So you know when it's time to say when you you gotta accept it and just do it, man. So from one bald man to another, shave that fucking thing off your head, man. Please. And you know he's gonna do it if if he needs to make some weight. Right. Yeah. Now next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Jennifer Maya. She's nineteen and nine, taking on Marina Moroz, who's eleven and three. Currently, they got it. Am I, am I seeing this right? Hold on one second. So sometimes with the fight odds, like it's all like messed up. Let me uh, pull up best fight odds, which. So currently they got it. Okay, I am looking at it right. Marina Moreau's minus 190. The comeback on Jennifer Myers plus 160. Let's see where this opened. So it opened minus 150, Marina Moreau. So they were thinking a little bit closer. They were thinking she wins six out of 10 times. Um. You know, I got to say Marina Moroz is a completely different fighter at 125 than she was at 115. At 115, it, we were making the jokes about the tennis sounds. We we're making the jokes about her, you know, punching the air and, you know, doing all these things. But I feel like, you know, now that she doesn't have those brutal weight cuts anymore, these last three performances at 125, she's been a completely different human being, man. I mean, the Myra Shitara fight, Myra Bueno Silva, I thought she did really good and she had to overcome some adversity. Myra Shitara was cutting down that leg, man, was chopping it. And, Felt like Marina Moroz did really well in that fight, and it was a significant difference compared to her days at 115. Um, Sabina Mazo gave her a vet lesson, and then Maria Agapova, you know, overcame some spots in the first round. And when it was time to get it to the mat in the second, you know, taught that young lady a lesson. So I like everything I've seen from uh, Marina Moroz moving up, and I guess this is considered a step up in the rankings. But I got to keep it 100 with you, man. I've never been sold on. Jennifer Maya, I just haven't. Um, I think that she's serviceable. I think that, you know, she's decent. Um, the fact that she won a round against Valentina was pretty cool. Like she had a moment in that fight where she took Valentina down. 
didn't really do much with it. But the fact that she took Valentina down, oh my God, that's a talking point. But I just I, back to kind of like my boy uh, with the six wives, like Maya can like fight close and she can fight competitive, but I feel like she just doesn't do enough in these fights. And I think that's going to cost her again. So yeah, I'm not in a rush to lay this price on Moreau's, but I will pick Moreau's to win a unanimous decision here. Yeah, I tend to agree with all those points. Uh, although I do think part of Moroz's game plays into what Maya wants, which is that jujitsu. Uh, I'm really impressed with how Moroz has, has looked. Uh, she's really aggressive and looks for those takedowns almost immediately at points. And she she knows how to handle her business against Agapova. She was talking some smack and she was like, yeah, I, I know what she her weaknesses are they were training partners and she went straight to that game plan and took her down and completely mauled her on the floor so i think from a fighting iq standpoint morose is levels above where she was at 115 so you have to like that and when you look at the tail of the tape she's three inches taller and three inches uh, longer in reach uh, against maya here also, the younger fighter by three years, it's kind of weird how it's all threes, but <laughs> it's just how it is. Uh, Maya, you know, in that Fioro fight, she did fight her close in those first two rounds. I got to say, uh, Fioro didn't really have too much for her until she found the, the boxing avenue. And that's what concerns me a little bit. Uh especially given that part, as I mentioned earlier, Moroz's game plan is taking people down and smashing them. And that's what Maya wants. And on this, on the feet, I think it's pretty equal, pretty even. So it's going to be interesting to see how this fight goes and where it takes place uh, and who's successful in initiating the grappling and wrestling uh, exchanges and who lands on top, because that's going to be a key factor for me in this fight. So from an entertainment value, I really like this fight. And it's it's not like most WMMA fights where we're expecting a striking matchup for, for three rounds. It's going to be all over the place. Uh, slight lean to the morose side, but I don't think I'm going to be betting it. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Miles Johns. He's 12-2, and two, taking on Vince Morales, who is 11-6. And, and firstly, we're going to get rid of the nickname Capo for Miles Johns. Um He's officially has to relinquish that nickname. Let's give it who, who's like a boss at, at Bantamweight. Like, let, let's give, you know, who deserves the nickname Capo? I want to say Adrian Yanez, but I know Miles Johns beat Adrian Yanez 10 million years ago. So, you know, that'd be contradictory. But if you actually watch that fight, I mean, Miles Johns was, you know, diving on legs, was, was, you know, hugging him for dear life. Whereas Adrian Yanez was actually landing shots and it could have gone either way. But, Miles has to relinquish that name Capo because his fighting style is not one of a boss. But let me say this about this fight. Well, first, let me say the odds. Currently, they got it. Miles Johns, minus 165. The comeback on Vince Morales is plus 140. Miles Johns is a great athlete, but Miles Johns is not the toughest guy. Miles Johns comes from a great camp, and hopefully Safe Saud is engraved in this guy's fucking thick skull kick vince morales's legs vince morales has skinny legs vince morales doesn't check leg kicks vince morales has been badly compromised via leg kicks 
on more than one occasion, whether it's the Chris Gutierrez fight, whether it's the Benito Lopez fight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The thing with, with uh, Vince Morales, generally speaking, pretty harmless. Not the most imposing guy, but occasionally he'll surprise you with that right hand. Occasionally he'll hurt guys with that right hand. That's literally the only weapon I'm worried about. I'm not worried about you know, left hooks. I'm not worried about his jab. I'm not worried about his kicks. I'm not worried about knees. I'm not worried about takedowns. I'm not worried about his ground game. I don't think he has any threat whatsoever besides that right hand. And Miles Johns, not exactly known for being the toughest guy, he eats one of those right hands. Miles Johns ain't known for being the guy that comes back from adversity. Miles Johns is more of, you know, a front-running bully. But I think this is a spot where he can't be a where he can front run in this fight. Let's come out here, keep your distance, kick this guy's legs, mix in a takedown at the end of the round, go out there and win this decision. Do not pull a stunt here. I got Miles Johns via unanimous decision. Yeah, Miles Jones has the advantage here in in all facets of MMA, whether it's the wrestling, the striking, the leg kicks, the the grappling. He has it all, but the the question for me is the fight IQ always. Um if he does go and straight away kicks those legs and really beats them down, he can hindsight make this look like a very easy fight from the get-go. Now, as you mentioned, Vince Morales has that right hand that he's knocked people down with. He was the first person to knock out Luis Smolka, who is known to be a little bit more on the durable side. But, man, th- th- this guy doesn't really pose any threat after the, the first round and like a round and a half, I'll say, because the power doesn't seem to, to carry with Vince Morales. So the, the question is, can Miles John survive the first round and a half if he eats one of those clean right uh, right hooks or right straight punches to the face? And quite frankly, I don't know if he can. He's shown that he's the type that will give up and wants to look for the way out once he gets hit with one of those hard shots. And I don't think I want to trust him with, with that kind of price tag. So it, it's going to be interesting to see. I think Miles John, if he wants to take this fight the the easiest way, it's going to be taking him down because we know Vince Morales cannot defend the the wrestling and takedown attempts. So taking him down early and often and chopping at the legs is going to be key for Miles Johnson in this matchup. And if as long as he can put that together, he should cruise. But you can't really count on that. So I'm laying off, but Miles Johnson is the pick. Now, next up, also in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Ricky Tercios. He's 11-3, and three, taking out Kevin Natividad, who is 9-3. and three. And currently, they got it. Ricky Tercios, minus 155. The comeback on Kevin Natividad is plus 135. Actually curious where this opened. It opened minus 185, Ricky, um, plus 160, Kevin. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, Kevin Natividad, I don't think he's actually shown his best uh, inside the octagon yet and by the way on a side note check out kevin natividad's brother christian I actually think he's better than kevin i think christian natividad might get a call to the ufc and that dude's got a lot of heart man he was dominating his last opponent and then his last opponent put him in this disgusting guillotine and like, i'm talking like locked in like game set and match and like christian natividad survived that shit it was pretty fucking impressive on that i think it was like lfa or one of those shows so Look out for his brother. He's going to get to the UFC here soon. My issue with Kevin Natividad, 
the guy's a bit chinny, you know, and not just the two UFC losses, but even outside the UFC got knocked out in nine seconds uh, in his one loss outside the UFC. So when you've been knocked out three times, I mean, I think it's safe to say the guy's chinny. But if he's not getting knocked out, I think he's a pretty tough scrapper. I think that he can go out there and bang, and I think he can go out there, have a lot of exciting fights, get some knockouts, put on some fight of the night type fights. It's just with this guy, Ricky Tercios, the good news is most likely he's not going to be knocking you out, I think. I mean, I say that. I could be wrong because Kevin's chin is not the best. So maybe, maybe. But the thing with Ricky is – his style really pissed a lot of people off his last fight, and rightfully so. You know, the guy's making all these unnecessary Kia sounds and doing all this bullshit, throwing 200 strikes at the air, only landing like 27 of them. And you hear the guy's interviews, and I mean, I mean, the guy, you know, he's he, the guy's rotting his brain. If you want, go go listen to his interviews, man. I mean, the guy, the guy, the guy's on drugs or something, man. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I like I got nothing against smoking weed. I, I used to be a stoner myself, but I'm talking like this guy smokes weed while he's sleeping, you know. And uh, if you hear his interviews, doesn't strike me as the brightest guy. And I'm not a, I'm not a fan of laying chalk on him. It's just about do you really do we view it as you know Kevin Nativitat just simply doesn't belong. But the thing about it is. Boston Salmon doesn't belong, and Boston Salmon fucking boxed this dude up. Eamon Zahabi is kind of hit or miss. Eamon Zahabi, you know, gave the, you know, took this guy through it. So, but then on the other hand, he did get that win over Brady. He stand, which could have gone either way, but the fact that it was as competitive, competitive as it was shows me that, like, you know, maybe this kid does have some skills. Maybe he just got carried away with the bullshit his last fight. Maybe he, he can... No, reel it in this time. <laughs> My boy Andy said something funny. He said, uh, let, let me uh hold up. He said, We stoners will not claim Ricky. Yeah, I feel you, man. I mean dude, like he, he's yeah, not a good look. What what this guy's doing, man. Uh that last fight, I mean, if he pulls some bullshit like that again here, that's his last UFC fight, period, point blank. I mean, I think if he doesn't knock out Kevin, it could be a competitive three round fight. It's just can we trust that chin of Natividad? But, I mean, speaking of chins, I mean, did you see what my boy Manon Martinez did to uh, Ricky Tercios on the regional scene? Now, granted, Manon Martinez has different kind of power. He hasn't shown it in the UFC yet, which is crazy. Even though he's dropped a couple guys in the UFC, but I'm saying, like, if you watch Manon Martinez's regional fights, like, he was sleeping guys, like, out, out. Like, you know, they they had to bring a pillow into the canvas. They They, they were taking serious naps, man, so... Mana Martinez, if there's one thing about him, that boy can crack. And I think that as his UFC career progresses and he starts to feel more comfortable, you might see some knockouts from him. So it's not that like that's that bad of a loss. Um, I mean, I'm going to lean Tercios, more experience, blah, blah, blah. But I am not sold on this guy, Ricky Tercios. And I'd, I'd love to pick Kevin Nativit out here. I just, I just don't trust him, Wiz. I just simply don't. I don't trust either guy. I don't mind not even watching this fight, so I'm a pass altogether. You summed it up pretty much perfectly here. Uh, interesting stats to pull up. In that last fight for Tercios, he was somewhere around 33% striking accuracy, which is abysmal. But then you look at Kevin Natividad, and it doesn't get much better. The guy is averaging 27% striking accuracy. Both these guys are practically punching air. No disrespect, but the, the, the facts are the facts. 
And I do favor Tercios in this matchup pretty heavily. I do think it's a get-right spot for him. And uh, I just don't rate Kevin Natividad highly at all. Uh, he does have a little bit of power in the hands, but it's nothing that he's really shown off. Uh, but he can crack when he does land. The issue is landing for him. So all that being said, I have to take Ricky Tercios in this fight at the at the price tag. If that last fight didn't happen, he hindsight would have been like a minus 220, 230 favorite, which I don't necessarily agree with. He should. I don't think he should be a minus 220 or 230 favorite against anyone, but against Kevin Natividad, anyone could be that price tag for the most part. So I have to pick Tercios here, and I think he gets it done and, and shows why he does belong in the UFC. Because anyone else uh, in that lower part of the bantamweight division would have gotten or would have lost to Brady. And Brady has some superb wrestling, and we'll get to Brady in the next fight. Uh, actually, no, in two fights. So that, that Brady fight was very, very... What's the word I'm looking for here? It, for lack of better words, impressive. But can Tercios put it together like he put it together in that fight? That's the question that needs to be answered. Give me Christian Natividad. Can we sign Christian Natividad to come out here and beat Tercios? Because I'd actually pick him pretty confidently. I like Kevin's brother better than him, just uh, in terms of who I think is the better fighter. But unfortunately, we're not dealing with Christian yet. We're dealing with Kevin. Not saying Kevin can't win, because, I mean, that bullshit stunt that Ricky pulled, he does that shit again. I mean, like, you're throwing at, what, what was it, 37% accuracy, you said? You throw 200 strikes. Exactly. You throw 200 strikes at the air. Only 27 of them land. You're making more sounds than strikes landed. I mean, that's, you know, there's a reason that everyone went from, like, loving this guy to, like, yo, like, Get this guy off my fucking TV, please. ASAP. So, you know, it's crazy how you can, you know, you can turn things around, like, with one bad mistake, right? Like, yeah. But anyways, I, I can go off about that for a while, but I'm good now. Uh, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Maria Oliveira. She's 13-5, to five, taking on Vanessa Demopoulos, who is 8-4. and four. And currently, they got it. Maria Oliveira minus 115, Vanessa Demopoulos minus 105. So a pick him with a slight lean towards Maria. Maria open minus 150. What do you think, man? Because, I mean, I'll tell you what. Both of them have kind of, like, exceeded my expectations that I had of them coming into the UFC because I remembered Maria as, like, the chick that, you know, quit standing against um, Marina Rodriguez on contenders. And I remember Vanessa is just kind of, like, you know, a low percentage you know, guard puller that can occasionally get arm bars, but like that last fight against um, Jinyu Frey, look, regardless of who you scored it for and regardless of the aesthetics in that fight, I respected the fact that, like, she gave effort there. I respected the fact that she tried, and apparently she's been at the PI breaking records, whatever that means. I think I think personal records. I don't mean I don't think she's been like you know beating Wiley Zhang's records or anything. I think it's more like she's been she's been just leveling up. So I, I respect her for that. Um, and I thought that Maria Oliveira against uh, De Paula, she kind of shined with the crowd there, man. Like she that was the best performance of her career. So what are you thinking here, man? I've been harping at reach advantages and height advantages all stream, and Man, this chick, Maria Oliveira, 
almost has a longer reach than a lot of the guys in the featherweight division. She's at a 69-inch reach against 62 for Vanessa Demopoulos. Hold on, hold on. UFC stats says 59 for for Vanessa. There's no way that's right, right? Yeah, there, there's absolutely no way. You go ahead and look at the her last fight against Gloria DePaula, and you'll you'll see otherwise. Because no, I'm ta- I'm talking about Vanessa. They say Vanessa has oh. a 59 inch reach. Well, that I mean I can't really confirm or deny because it's hard to to measure these girls' arms when they're in in fight. But yeah, it's, not, it's not like she fights behind her jab, anyways. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you you could see how long Maria Oliveira's arms are, that's for sure. So she has a seven-inch reach advantage here and a four-inch height advantage. And man, this chick Maria Oliveira can crack. We saw it in that fight against uh, Gloria De Paula. She can put people down, she can hurt girls. And against someone like Vanessa Demopoulos, who is not known for striking defense at all, I think Maria Oliveira could get the finish here pretty handedly uh, at a high clip. I probably am going to bet that Maria Oliveira KO. I don't know what the line is because I haven't checked yet, but I, I'm really impressed with her striking game. And uh, she she was known to be a BJJ girl when she first started as well. So I think she could defend the submission attempts if she does get in those hairy situations with Demopoulos. Uh, Demopoulos' striking has a long way to go. I don't really rate it too much. I don't think she won her last fight, but yeah, she got the nod. Uh, Needless to say, she just needs to improve that striking. And this reach disadvantage is not going to help her at all in this matchup. So I think Maria Oliveira wins this one pretty handedly. Uh, it's definitely going to be a bet on my card. I mean, here's my thing about Vanessa, though. Like, she can be, like, losing a whole fight and then pull guard and get an armbar off her back. And, like, Marie, uh, Maria Oliveira has been finished by armbar twice. And the thing about Vanessa is she's not really going to quit. Like, she'll, like it, she'll be getting tagged up the whole fight. She'll be getting pieced up, which I think is going to happen. It's just that one mistake is all it takes. She's a very opportunistic submission artist um but you're right i mean maria oliveira has got a longer reach than max holloway so i definitely think on the feet she's gonna be lighting her up it's just that one time that vanessa successfully pulls guard and goes for that arm bar you could be winning the whole fight and it's a paul craig situation all over again right so or like a claudio puella situation right so i don't fucking know man I mean, I, I'm rooting for you, so I'll go with Maria, but just can't cry if Vanessa's getting her ass whooped and then she pulls off an armbar out of nowhere, you know? 100%. And uh, we've seen how hurt Demopolis got against Silvana, and I'm not comparing Maria Oliveira to Silvana power-wise at all, but she was nearly out of there. The, the way she pulled off that armbar was fantastic. Does it repeat itself? Uh, it doesn't tend to happen in the UFC all that often. You don't see that same situation get, uh, you don't see a re- repetition in fights like this. So I think Maria Oliveira can hurt her really bad. Well, I wish you luck with that. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Fernie Garcia. He's 10 and 2, taking on Brady Heastan, who's 5 and 2. It's pretty good for a f- only being 5 and 2. Currently, they got it Brady minus 165. The comeback on Fernie is plus 140. Actually open a little closer. Interesting, interesting. Um, you know, Brady for only being, you know, only being five and two, 
You know, I, I think he's I like his scrambling ability. I like his toughness. And he's one of those guys where I talk about less than 10 pro fights. We'll be making these big improvements fight by fight. He's had the proper amount of time off to come out here much improved. And with his opponent, Fernie Garcia, although he's vastly more experienced, he's just kind of average. And now he's a bit of a gym hopper. You know, Fortis MMA wasn't good enough for him. Now he's at fight ready, which both great gyms, but like, you know, the, the gym doesn't always make the fighter. Let, let's just leave it at that, man. I mean, I'm not about to talk shit about Mark Madsen just because I'm bitter that I lost the bet on him. But, like, low-key watching that fight, I was like, dude, like, it's maybe maybe you should give your uh, Olympic medal back because, I mean, it looked like the guy hadn't wrestled a day in his life in that Grant Dawson fight. That was fucking crazy, bro. I mean, that with all due respect, that's just, I mean, did, did he look like an Olympic wrestler to you in that fight? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, uh and we'll talk about the difference in, you know, upper body takedowns versus lower body takedowns when we talk about the Natalia Silva fight. But, um, you know, anyways, back to Brady and Fernie. My issue with Fernie is, firstly, getting a vet lesson by Journey Newsome, big red flag. And then the fight prior to that on Contender Series, was it Josh Weems? You know, I mean, you know, Josh Weems doesn't exactly belong, you know, as we've as we've found out uh more than once now so you know he didn't look his best against josh weems and lands a punch and josh weems was ready to go home then the next fight he he gets a vet lesson by journey newsome so i ain't sold on this kid you know being ufc caliber but at least you know he's tough mexican fighter you got to respect him but i think he's at the lower totem pole i don't think he's going to be in the ufc this time next year no disrespect um and i think brady you know not that not that we're talking future top 15, but at least I've seen some things I like. I really like his heart. I really like his scrambling ability. Um, I think that he's starting to round things out a bit. I think that now you're taking the right amount of time off. Hopefully you've leveled up. Let me see Brady. He's going to come out here and get get a decision win. So I'll go, I'll go with Brady. And I'm right there with you. Um, that Journey Newsome fight was absolutely horrible. It was not a good look at all for Fernie Garcia. And when you're looking at the measurables, uh, Brady has a four-inch reach advantage and a one-inch height advantage against uh, Garcia. The one thing that sticks out to me, and it sticks out like a sore thumb, is Fernie Garcia gets taken down left and right. He has a great get-up game. I'll give him that. But Brady is... And we, we've seen Michael Chiesa talk about this, A, on the, the Ultimate Fighter, and B, in like actual interviews when he's been asked about Brady. He said Brady has some of the best wrestling for that weight class that he's seen. And I, I don't think it's just because he's a training partner of his and he wants to sound nice. Uh, I do rate Brady's wrestling pretty highly. Uh, and I think he's going to be able to take Fernie Garcia down at will. Uh, one, and I know this is not a prize picks kind of stream, but prize picks is hanging two and a half takedowns for Brady. I think it gets that done in the first round. It's kind of disrespectful. But all that being said, I think Brady gets this fight done uh, pretty handedly uh, and gets a very decisive uh, decision win. Uh, so give me Brady. I'm probably going to be betting him as well. And last but not least, in the flyweight division, we got Natalia Silva. She's 13-5, and five, taking on Teresa Bleda, who is 6-0. and oh. And currently they got it. Natalia Silva, minus 160. The comeback on Teresa Bledas, plus 140. I got to say, man, I was blown away by Natalia Silva's UFC debut, man. Like, I love 
the lateral movement. I love the diversity of her kicks. I mean, busting up the legs, going to the body, going upstairs. You know, I mean, she's got some serious dexterity with those legs. The takedown defense was on point. Her punches uh, were pretty damn effective, too. Had the gas tank for all three rounds. I mean, took down an Olympic wrestler twice, landed close to 100 significant strikes. Like, hey, girl, do your thing. Because, I mean, and she's got real experience. I mean, her last loss was to fucking Marina Rodriguez. She went the distance with her back in the day. And, you know, since then, put together a win streak, took some time off, comes out here, looks amazing in the UFC. With Teresa Bleda, she's only 20 years old. She's still getting her feet wet, but she she brings a lot of physical attributes. You know, she's five foot nine, which is ginormous for a chick in that weight class. And she's got, you know, pretty strong wrestling, but I'd say that's about the extent of it. Um, now, here's what I'm worried about. So I love everything about Natalia Silva, and it's easy to say that she stuffed the takedowns from, a, from an Olympic wrestler. And not only that, but she took down an Olympic wrestler twice. But here's the big difference. That Olympic wrestler, back to like the Mark Madsen talk, that Olympic wrestler was only going for upper body takedowns, right? Which was still great to see, you know, a smaller opponent stuff that. I love it. But Teresa Bleda is going to be going for lower body takedowns, going to be going for singles, going for doubles. So... I'm inclined to believe that Natalia Silva can stuff those based off what I saw in the debut. It's just you have to fucking put some context into it and you have to just be uh, upfront about the fact that it was upper body takedown. She was defending against Jasmine Jostovicius. It's going to be a different kind of takedown here against uh, Teresa Bleda. But interestingly enough, Natalia Silva, even though we saw a three round striking clinic in her debut, she's actually known for having a, a really good arm bar. So maybe. If she does get taken down here, maybe she can show off that armbar against an opponent named Ronda, which would be the irony of irony, which would just be poetic justice in a way. Not that I have anything against Teresa. I don't, but it would be hilarious to see a chick named Ronda get armbarred. But uh, I like everything about this girl, Natalia Silva. Paid her dues on a regional scene. It's coming in here with what? With how many pro fights does she have? This is about to be her 20th pro fight. This is about to be Teresa's seventh pro fight so i think the experience difference is huge here i love the volume on the feet and if you go on natalia's instagram man this chick's taking it seriously man this this chick ain't playing games man her strength and conditioning program is dialed in all facets of her game are dialed in and she's someone like i said paid her dues and i think she's ready to shine right now you know had the right of right amount of experience on her regional scene before she came to the ufc Whereas Teresa Bleda, if you watch that contender series fight, Dana didn't sign her that night. Dana said she's too green. Dana said she's too young. Dana said, you know, one day she'll be in the UFC. I didn't think it'd be so soon. I didn't think it'd be so soon, but he said she wasn't quite ready yet. So I'm a, I'm a agree with Dana that she's not quite ready yet. I'm gonna go with Natalia Silva to outclass this young lady. This might be the only fight on the slate where we we have opposite views. So I'd love. Natalia Silva's game. Uh, shout out to her for cashing that plus 200 ticket last time around. Uh, that was amazing. Her striking is on point. She she definitely has the advantage in the striking department. The issue for me is when you're, when you're speaking about Teresa Blader, you're speaking about someone who is very tough. And a lot of people forget this. In that contender series fight, she completely blew out her knee in the second round. And it was visible. Like you could tell. When she was standing uh, before she go attempts to takedowns, she was hobbling on that leg against Nayar Maya, who, let's not forget, Nayar Maya was, I think, somewhere close to minus 300 favorite 
and she still took Nyarimaya down uh, in the second round all the way into the third to win that decision. And her ground and pound is pretty nasty. Now, imagine what she she could have done if she was healthy on that knee. She probably could have finished Maya because Maya was getting tagged as well. So I, I like this price tag on Blada. We're getting around like plus 150-ish around that price point, depending on where you're looking. And she, although she seems to be a public dog, I'm not really shying away from it. I haven't gone to the window yet. Um, but I, I assume that I am going to be placing a bet on her. Nothing crazy, though. Probably just a unit. I like the height advantage here, 5 inches. The reach advantage at 6. Uh, I'm not saying that Jasmine Jasavigius didn't have those advantages as well. And Natalia Silva handled that well. But I don't rate Jasavigius' boxing or takedown game all that well. Even though she's a, a Olympian wrestler. It's just like, as you mentioned, it's two different kinds of takedowns and two different styles. And one just tends to work a little bit better than the other. So, as a dog, I have to take Teresa Bleda here. She's enormous for the division, and I think she has a a really opportunistic fight here and also a really good future ahead of her in the UFC, as long as she's able to continually improve her game. You say she blew out her knee. Her knee. Like, what exactly do you mean by that? Like, I, I assumed it was a torn ACL. You know that fight was only two months ago, right? That is true. So you're telling me she's coming in here with an injury? Because you don't just heal from a blown out knee in two in two months. To be specific, a month and five days. Wow. If, yeah, you could visibly see her hobbling on that knee. I believe it was her right leg from when I was watching tape the other day. Uh, from halfway through the second round, I believe, all the way into the third. So you're you're onto something there. You know who's going to kick those legs, right? Mm -hmm. You're talking me off here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so uh, Jeffrey Gleason said, please do a bonus prediction for Vadim Nemkov versus Corey Anderson. All right, I'll be happy to do that. I'll only be happy to do that if everyone watching smashes the like button. And if you're not subscribed, please subscribe. All right, so main event of Bellator 288. We got Corey Anderson. He's minus 235. The comeback on Vadim Nemkov is plus 185. First time they fought, the line was flipped. It was minus 180. Nemkov, Corey Anderson was plus 150. And off the top of my head, I think Nemkov won the first round, and then Corey started to come back. But there was like a head clash or some shit, or eye poke head clash. I don't remember. But, you know, honestly, at this price, I know Corey Anderson's a great fighter, but I've been waiting for that time when his chin's finally going to get gonna get cracked again i still think the guy's got a suspect chin it's just with vadim you know sometimes the pacing can be an issue but hopefully at you know a price like plus 185 i'd be willing to roll the dice and see hopefully make some adjustments you know you've been with, you've been in there with the guy once you know what you, you know what he brings to the table you felt him before you know how strong he is maybe a couple adjustments you can come out here and cash an underdog ticket so i'll actually go with vadim nemkov here yeah, same same exact thought. Uh, I, Vadim Nemkov is really looking good in that fight until he wasn't. Uh, just a couple of minor adjustments against someone who is going up there in age and Corey Anderson, whose chin has been tested, but slowly withering away. Uh, I'm probably going to be taking Vadim there, but Bellator isn't my specialty, so I'm not the the best or the brightest dude in the in the space for that. 
Now, before we get out of here, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Madi, what is the fight to watch for UFC Vegas 65? It's a tough one. I think the fight to watch is definitely going to be Salikov and Fialo for me because both fighters have something to prove here. Is Salikov on the way out? Or does he still have some life in him? And then Fialo, was that one knockout loss to, to Jake Matthews a fluke? Or is it something that's more repetitive and that chin is, isn't as durable as people think it is? Definitely. I mean, when you get two strikers like that, that's definitely one of the fights to watch for me. That fight to watch is the fight we just disagreed on, the curtain jerker between Natalia Silva and Teresa Bleda, man. I mean, like, I want to know if that, fight you know between natalia silva and jasmine was just kind of a one-off performance maybe jasmine just ain't the best and that's why natalia you know styled on her or is natalia a future contender in this division because the kind of numbers she put up there like you put up numbers like that consistently and you are a future contender and i liked everything i saw about her and with Teresa, only 20 years old has some physical attributes uh you know that goes a long way in this division so for that reason that heated showdown to kick off the card between Silva and Blada is my fight to watch. Now, Wiz, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Vegas 65? Fighter to watch for me is it has to be Kennedy and Zachukwu. Uh, I, I've been waiting for this guy to put things together and to show his potential. And I think this is a spot where he could really shine, especially in a co-main event spot. Uh, it, it's set up for this. So if, as long as he can step up to the occasion, I think he can really prove some people wrong about how his striking isn't as good as it is. And he doesn't have that power. Uh, he, he could actually turn some heads here and make a statement. So it has to be Kennedy for me. And for me, I'm going to go with Derek, the black beast Lewis. You know, this is the week that we tragically lost one of the other greatest knockout artists in UFC history and rumble Johnson. I know Derek Lewis, he comes out here and, you know, gets another knockout, you know, and, exceeds his record extends his record rather for most knockouts in heavyweight and ufc history uh pay tribute to rumble johnson plus i mean there's a lot of questions about where's Derek lewis at in his career right now and this is truly one of those fights where a win and you're right back in the mix a loss and i mean he's gonna be fighting guys that are not in the top 10 anymore uh if he takes a l here so this is a huge fight for the career trajectory of Derek Lewis. You could even see him retire here with a bad loss. So for those reasons, Derek, the black beast Lewis is my fighter to watch. Well, whiz, we did it. It's going down this Saturday afternoon in Las Vegas, Nevada, UFC Vegas 65. They can follow you at whiz bets. They can follow me at best fight picks. Everybody watching, do me a huge favor, smash the like button, hit the subscribe button afterwards. Leave me a comment. Feel free to share. All those little things you guys do help the show tremendously. Um, and subscribe to Half the Battle everywhere podcasts are found. So thank you again, everybody, for the support. Good luck this weekend. And until the next time, let's cash these bets. See you guys.